Another Way to Play, episode 41. Hey, this is Steve Sims, the real-life Wizard of Oz, CEO and founder of Blue Fishing and the Art of Making Things Happen. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my buddy, Hans Struzanar. Enjoy. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Man, today we got a treat for you. Uh, If you ever met anyone who's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk, sent people down to see a wreck of the Titanic on the seabed, or closed a museum in Florence for a private dinner party, and then had Andrea Bocelli serenade them while they ate their pasta... Quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is a best-selling author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, sought-after consultant, and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard, twice. Steve is someone I've been really excited to bring on the show for quite some time. I've been following his content for a while and uh, read his book and really have enjoyed what he puts out there. So I'm really excited to bring our conversation to you. Uh, Man, we get into some really interesting stuff you're going to want to listen up for. He leads off by just talking about how aggravated oysters are the ones that make the pearls. Identifying that uh, dissatisfaction or discomfort and using that to roll into your next thing. Um, He gives some great advice around that. We also talk about why you should ask why three times. He talks to us about how most of us these days, and I can relate to this, are scared to talk to people one-on-one. It's a lost art that he is trying to bring back in his own way and give some great advice uh, so that you can go into a conversation knowing what to do and having a bit of a template. Um, So listen for those three whys. And uh, we also talk about his disdain for the word authentic. Most people think that's a really interesting buzzword that is uh, a good thing, frankly. If you're authentic, it's a good thing. But he talks about why it is he doesn't like that and what he's replacing it with. So listen up for all of that. And at the very end, he tells us why he would love to have a conversation with Hitler. Uh, Before you jump to a conclusion, listen to the very end so you can hear what his answer is, and then let me know what you think. Before we get into the conversation, I would love to have a personal conversation with you. So if you go down into the show notes, find my Calendly link at the bottom, and schedule time with me. I would love to connect with you, uh, see what other guests we can get on, what questions I should ask them and how to just generally make this podcast even better. And if this episode with Steve or any others brings you value, please go over to iTunes, leave a rating and written review because it really helps me gain some of that feedback as well as uh, helps with the algorithm so we can get the show in front of a few more people. Uh, So without any further ado, here's my interview with the real life Wizard of Oz, Steve Sims. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a real pleasure and honor to have you on. 
Thanks for having me. We've gone through your your background, uh, given the guests a little bit of context, which is obviously not easy to do in about 45 seconds because you've done a lot. <laughs> so why don't you, uh, but we'll get into some of the stuff uh, here in the, the conversation, but why don't you build a little bit of context and tell us where your journey began? Oh, very easy. Um, uh, on the streets of East London. Uh, I was uh, born, raised, and then ended up working for my father's construction firm. So literally at the age of 15, never even considered going to a college. It was never even mentioned in our house. The age of 15, I came out of school. I was allowed one day as a lay and the following day, woken up at five o'clock in the morning, told, right, you're on the site. And that was it. My, my entire life was therefore mapped out. And as an entrepreneur, and we can all relate to this, mm -hmm. we don't fit until we fit. And I knew something was wrong and I knew I felt aggravated and I didn't feel challenged and I wasn't proud of my work. And there were all these emotions going through me, which I had no idea what they were because it was the eighties and we didn't have Instagram to tell me that I was an entrepreneur. So I just, uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I could do anything different. Um, and we were also in a generation where we were told, Hey, you go and work here and you work your way up through the ranks. You don't do that now because you don't know mm -hmm. if the company's going to be in business in five years. So that's where I, that's where I rose. I, I grew in the building industry, um, tried loads of different things until eventually I'm sitting here in Los Angeles as a speaker, coach, author, um, concierge, very, very, very weird uh, journey. <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've heard you speak in person, but also on a number of other shows. And and uh, yeah, you've you've had a bit of a, a roundabout story to get to where you're at. Going back to that time early in your your first or second day on the job in the uh, in East London with your with your family, what is it about that lifestyle that really just you felt like didn't fit? And I'm assuming it was something you you figured out after the fact. But what was it that you realized? wasn't right for you when you first got on the site? Well, a good friend of mine, Joe Polish, says that it's aggravated oysters to make pearls. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like getting up that early in the morning. I didn't like getting wet. I didn't like always smacking my hands or my head or my elbows or my knees as you walk through a building site. I didn't like being cold. You know, there was absolutely nothing that went, oh, this is a great job. But the th two things happened, and it happened on one day. So I was, I was being trained as a bricklayer, but ever, whenever we were short of laborers, I had to run down and become one of the laborers for the day. Now, a laborer, and I hate to say this, but technically they were the unqualified meatheads that, that carried stuff around. And the skillsmen, the tradesmen, as they were called, were the electricians, the plumbers, the bricklayers. So a lot of laborers were on our way up to become a tradesman. So when a tradesman mm -hmm. was asked to become a laborer for a day, it was quite a demotion to say the least. But of course, as I was his son, if we were short of a laborer, hey, go and start mixing up some muck, get the cement, get the bricks, you know, I had to do all that. So I remember climbing up a ladder one day with what they called a hod, which is what carried a bunch of bricks over your shoulder. And I jumped up on the, on the scaffolding and I could see down the scaffolding all the bricklayers working. And as I looked down at the one closest to me was my dad. And then it was my cousins. Then it was my uncle. Then it was another cousin. And then it was my granddad. My cousins were a few years older than me, like, you know, 19, 20 years old. And I could see everyone from them 
my dad, my uncle, and then finishing with my granddad, who was like in his 70s. And I saw my family tree. I saw my future. It was like a, a time warp. Um, and it hit me so hard that I just froze. And in the end, my dad was like, oh, he put the bricks down and get some more. So, and then at tea break time, which was like 10.30 in the morning, we're all in these little sheds, you know, hiding from the cold and the rain. And I said to my granddad, probably the dumbest thing I ever said, but the most impactful that worked. I said to him, granddad, did you ever think you would be doing this in your 70s? Which, let's be honest, is a stupid question. No yeah. one does. And without even looking at me, he's sipping his tea. And he said to me, Steve, you don't quit today. You're me tomorrow. And I was like, damn. So I literally walked up to my dad. And I went, dad, I quit. And he went, what are you going to do? I went, I don't know, but I know it's not this. I don't want to be granddad, which sounds very rude, but right. I don't want to be grand. And I remember looking at granddad, pointing to granddad, who still wasn't even looking at me, just sitting there drinking his cup of tea. And I go, I don't want to be granddad. And my dad could kind of understand that. Was a bit pissed that I was leaving because he was already down a laborer. Mm -hmm. So I finished the day. My mum took it worse than anyone. You know, she was a right thick-headed, stubborn lass of the uh, of the 70s and 60s. Uh -huh. And she was like, oh, you think you're better than this? And I went, yeah. <laughs> You've raised <laughs> me to, to, to do, I think I, I think I can be something better than granddad. And I remember I kept on saying that. Of course, everyone was like, well, granddad's a proud man. I'm like, yes, he is. But I don't want to be him in 70 years time. Still like, 10 minutes down the road from where you were born and eight minutes down the road from where you went to school and you never moved and you never traveled. I didn't want that. Um, now, luckily, fast forward to today, we have Instagram where we can literally see what it looks like in any city, mm -hmm. anywhere in the planet today. You know, there are even, like I sometimes, there are live cams. I will often work and there'll be a live cam of like uh, the Spanish steps in Rome or mm -hmm. the uh, Palazzo de Vecchio in uh, uh, Florence or London. And I'll have like a screen cam just showing that video while I'm working. I didn't have that then. So now we have that. Then it was purely a simple aggravation that this wasn't right. I didn't know what was right. I didn't know who I wanted to emulate. I didn't want to know who I wanted to mirror because the only people that we could look up to in the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s were people in TV and in the movies because we didn't have this thing until the late 90s called internet. So, right. you know, we didn't have the ability to be able to look at this and go, cool, I want to be Ty Lopez. I want to be, you know, you know, Grant Cardone or I want to be like Michael Jordan or I want to be... We didn't have right. any of that then. So at the time, it was just aggravation that this didn't work. Now I had to go and find something that did. To your point about the fact that we don't have or you didn't have the internet at that time and Instagram and all of that maybe made that aggravation more clear, but now we have it and you can see you, me, and everybody else on the internet, right? And, and it maybe is an aggravation, but then there's so many paths that you're not sure where to go. If you had to think back to your aggravated, you know, 17, 18 year old self in today's world, and you're looking around and you're realizing this, may, uh, you don't know where to go, but this isn't it. 
like what advice might you give to someone who's in that position today as to like cut through the noise and, and choose a direction and actually get somewhere? Well, the problem is we didn't have any of it then. And so at the time I was ignorant to everything because I didn't know what it was like. You know, I mm -hmm. didn't know what I should be scared of. I didn't know what I should revere. Like I got a 14 year old now that can tell you about watches that cost a million dollars. You know, yeah. I didn't bloody know anything about them. I knew Timex and Casio and that was it. So someone said to me, oh, this is a Patek Philippe. I'll be like, well, that sounds fancy. I didn't know anything. So in order, I wasn't scared of it. The trouble is now we're not educated. Okay. We have a ton of bullshit thrown down us every single day. Every day there's an instant millionaire, an instant mm -hmm. guru that's just full of crap because he's leaning against a, a Lamborghini that he doesn't freaking own. The trouble is we've got access to a lot of information. We've also got a lot of access to an incredible amount of fluff nowadays. And it can, mm -hmm. be, more, it can be more than annoying. And Joe Polish turns around and says, we're in a world of mass distraction. And so I was ignorant then. We are just bombarded now. And so I'm not quite sure what's good. I don't know which way was best. I was ignorant and had to go and discover it. You still have to discover it today. You have to dig in and go, hey, I like what this guy stands for, but why should I listen to him? And that's what you've got to ask. Why should I listen to him? What's he done? And then you find out that he sounds smart because he read it on a bloody book or saw it on a webinar two weeks before and actually has never done anything with it. There's mm -hmm. nothing I love more than taking the piss out of these guys that train millionaires or speakers that train speakers that have never spoke mm -hmm. or, you know, millionaire coaches that are getting 50 grand a year, all of that shit. You know, yeah, I just yeah. love calling these people out. When you said something just a minute ago about asking why in the back of, of blue fishing your book, you have the law. what do you call it? The laws of blue fishing and yeah, the playbook. The playbook. That's it. Thank you. Uh, I just had it open and I closed it for our interview. Um, but I pulled one of them out there that was really impactful to me. Ask why at least three times. Can you, mm. can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, well, for a start, if anyone wants the playbook, and here's a little shallow plug, um, they can go to stevedsims.com and sign up for the newsletters. They'll get the free playbook and then they can unsubscribe. So anyone that bloody uh, wants the free playbook, go and get it. Um, it's, it's good stuff too. There's like almost 50 of them in there yeah there's quite thank you yeah and it's uh there's no follow-up there's no flow we don't have infusion soft we have no click funnels so you're not going to get bombarded so download it use it and unsubscribe you know you're welcome um i find that today we're actually scared of talking and i was having a great conversation the other day with um a buddy of mine dan fleischman we're actually terrified of saying something in, in case you know, we offend someone or, you know, we've said something inappropriate without realizing it because it seems that everything we fucking say today is inappropriate, you know? And in 10 years time, I'm sure shit going to be apologizing for having no hair and earrings and probably being even British. Um, you know, it just <laughs> seems as though we're in that world now. Um, and you can't get away with it. I can't say something to you and then go, oh, sorry about that. That's because two things. One, we don't care. We say something on a posting and then we walk away and we've forgotten it while you may be very offended. Or secondly, we don't get the opportunity to apologize, you know, because either mm -hmm. we can't connect with the people or it's been taken. Anyway, slightly digress there.
But I feel as though people, when they say things now, they're very cautious and concerned about how it comes across. Instead of saying what they want, they say what makes them sound more articulate and intelligent. And so most people, and I've said this all the way through my, my, my speeches, my career, everyone that says something to me says it to me in a manner which will make them sound smarter, deeper, more emotional. And it's like when you interview someone, you know, a friend of mine once says, you never meet someone the first time they're interviewed. You meet them on the third, fourth or fifth time. Because the mm -hmm. first time they're putting up such a persona that is not really them. So I always say to people, hey, that sounds fantastic. But why is that important to you? And then you start get, getting into the bones of it and actually into the core. And they may go, well, um, they will change because they will have to think about it. And then they will give you an answer. And then you can go again. You can go, ah, I'm getting it. But is that the why to this request? And you start asking, and I call it, you're in a Sherlock Holmes. You start digging into what is the real core reason. I'll give you a perfect example. We had a, a client of ours contact us couple of years ago we've been working for Elton John for years and they contact this guy contacted us wasn't a client at the time um still isn't and he said hey I want to get a photograph with Elton John I said oh that sounds fantastic you know why do you want to do that and the guy literally turned around and went well you know I love collecting photographs of famous people and Elton's going to be dead one day because he's getting old and it'd be great to have a photograph with him that was it very shallow, yeah, you know, no more depth to that. And so I went, ah, oh, great, we'll let you know. Of course, we never contacted him ever again. And then we got another call. Um, funny enough, it was very recently after. I'm like within about maybe two or three weeks. In fact, we thought it was him or his mate. Mm -hmm. You know, it was that strange that you got two requests for the same thing. And so um, he said, oh, yeah, I want to meet Elton John. I want to get a photograph with him. Oh, really? That sounds great. That sounds fantastic why is that important? And he went quiet. And he went, well, you know, Alan John's famous and he's an icon, but he was kind of like stuttering a little bit. Mm -hmm. he said, well, you know, he said, so you could sense there was something else. So he said, you know, he's, he's been around forever and his music's very powerful and impactful. And I said, well, look, that's his resume. But why is it important to you? And he went quiet. And then he turned around and he went, my dad used to take me to school. He used to pick me up. And that was our thing. Every day, not my mum, my dad took me to school every day of my school year. And we had a cassette player. And we only ever had one cassette in the car, and it was Elton John. He said, and on the way to school, my dad would sing Elton John. And on the way home, he would sing Elton John. Many, many years and journeys that would annoy me, this was all we would have going. He said, now, when I'm driving down the road and my radio's on and Elton John comes on, he said, my dad sat next to me in the car. He said, and I want to tell Elton about how he brings my dad back to me for my car journey every time. And I want to say thank you. Wow. And there's the why. There's the core. That's it. In its single, single statement. And we made it happen. And he told the story and they hugged it out. And there was the reason. But it all started from him being too embarrassed to tell me that story, too 
fearful of being this vulnerable and you know yeah. real and authentic which we're all fucking terrified to be nowadays or if we aren't we're using it as a damn marked employee and this guy was concerned and when it finally came out that gave me the meat that i could work with and as i say so i always say to people i've never given a client what they asked for i gave them what they needed lusted for and desired that and if you can get to that i work with a lot of um realtors and mortgage professionals and mm -hmm. i do a lot of speaking and consulting for these and i say to people ask why that address is important because people will go oh you know i'm looking for a four bedroom hamlet in this area and sometimes they'll even say a street or a, or a location mm -hmm. forget the house why that street oh you know it's a beautiful street i've been down there, it's gorgeous yeah, yeah, yeah it is gorgeous but there's loads of other streets. Why that street? Why have we focused on there? When you move in, what is so compulsive in your life that you need to be in that zip code? And then you may hear that, well, when I was growing up, I didn't have any money and my family knew about this. Or it's, I want to grow and I've never had money and the 9010, no, I forget what the bloody Beverly Hills zip code is, but you know, uh, 90210 is the zip code I always dreamed of living in. Yeah, that's the zip code I always dreamed of living in. You know, you got to find that core reason that's driving the statement mm -hmm. because you can either then clarify it or reconstruct it and go, hey, I hear you, but the 90210 today is not there. It's over here. Yeah. So do you want to be in where it's going or do you want to be where it's been? Yeah. You can start doing that. So I, I ask why three times to get down to the core to the reason and not what makes you sound smart from the first question. And that that's something that I talk about in our real estate uh, exchanges whenever I'm representing a client is, is getting to the why. We always open up every conversation with the buyer or seller of what can we do? And then we, spend the next 10 or 15 minutes digging in as to, you know, yeah, a three bed, two bath house is, is great. And there's a lot of them, but you know, how you actually accomplish it, how you live in it, it changes exactly what it is you're going to want. Yeah, exactly. Really well You've said. got to get down to the reason, not to the statement. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I heard you say something in the past about authenticity or being authentic. And that's, and that's something that, comes up a lot in sort of the online world and the general advice to entrepreneurs and business people is be authentic with your marketing, with the way that you present in the world, whatever that means in your line of work. Um, but I, I know that you don't particularly care for that word, uh, but, it, but it also sounds like when you get authentic, like if at face value, when you get authentic, that's when you get to the root, right? Turning this on you, why do you, why do you not like that word or, or why is it that that's uh, not the way that so, you approach it? Yeah, I hate it. Um, nothing more pisses me off than when I'm on stage and someone turns around and says, oh, you're so authentic. You know, I, I hate that. And the reason I hate it is because we're in a world now where you'll give someone a medal for being authentic. You will notice them. You will give them an accolade and a credit because that's so authentic. When you notice someone and you're going, oh, he's so authentic, you're actually clarifying that the rest of the planet is not. And that's like going, oh, look at him. Let's cheer him because he's breathing or he mm. eats, you know, or drinks water or, you know, can like, you know, can walk in a straight line. 
authenticity should be something that we take for granted. Now, I understand its usage in the marketing world, be authentic in, in your marketing, but I just urge you, screw trying to be authentic, because most people that try to be authentic are just putting on a set, a different set of clothes. You know, they're going, hey, I want to look authentic, so I'm going to wear a, a slightly baggy, you know, casual black T-shirt, and I'm going to drop the F-bomb every now and then. I'm going to wear a beanie on the back of my head like Gary V. you know? Mm -hmm. No. It takes zero effort for you to be you. Like it, love it, hate it, gives a shit. Focus all of your energy on what you're solving and no, put no energy in being the persona that you're trying to be. Don't carry that weight. So I want you to focus, whenever you're doing any marketing, be relatable, okay? Have a message, have a stand-in, have a point, have a position. And I am guarantee you, you're going to lose people. You're going to have people go, well, I don't like him because he's got that funny, weird voice. I don't like him because he's got earrings and he's got a bloody eye stuck. I don't like him because he's bald. I don't like him because, you know, he, he swore earlier. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's fine. It was actually never meant to be. If it takes effort for you to get to communicate with someone, then you're not building up a relationship. You're building up a falsehood. Okay? People have got to be able to connect with you. They've got to know exactly what you stand for. If you start putting a pretense on, putting a suit on when you feel a bit uncomfortable about it, driving mm -hmm. a flashy car to impress somebody else, shouldn't we today be buying a car that we like and not one to impress someone else? Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't even have a car. If you think being successful is having a, a, a green Lamborghini or you know Mercedes convertible or a bloody G-Wagon jacked up with off-road tires and it's closest it's been to Elf Road is Rodeo Drive. That's not me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't have a single car and I think I'm fine with it. So I want people out there to start being relatable. Be who you are. You'll find you attract people that go, oh, I actually have no hair. Or, you know, oh, I like to wear those t-shirts or I have a shitty car as well, but I don't care about cars. You know, it's just weird. Um, yeah. So I really focus on people being relatable and being true to who they are. And that's the first thing that you have to do. That's really uh, well said and well broken down. It reminds me of, of a part of your book when you were, when you were uh, bouncing and, and uh, attending the door at the nightclubs that you're working in in the early part of your career. Um, you have a couple of stories uh, that you've told at various points about people showing up in a Ferrari or showing up, you know, in some fancy car and the difference you could tell immediately of the person who leased it mm -hmm. versus the person who owned it. And going back to our Instagram, like our, our mass distraction uh, society that we have, how do you know, or how can you know if someone's really authentically living that life through the Ferrari or enjoying that versus just doing it to, to impress us. Yeah. So first of all, I don't care if someone leases it. Um, in, Fair enough. in those, if you go back into like the, the eighties and the nineties, you rented and leased a vehicle because you couldn't afford to buy it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nowadays with the way the tax works, you're far smarter to lease and rent the thing in any case. Um, yep. So there's been a different of a change, but the difference at the time that can still be validated today is, and it sounds a stupid question, but is the car 
driving you or are you driving the car? And it's the same with suits and watches. Are you wearing that watch or is that watch wearing you? How comfortable are you with that possession or in that situation? And there'll be a lot of people now that will, will buy a car to impress you. It'll be on their Instagram. They'll do all their videos on it. And I have to do, you know, and there's all that kind of stuff. And they use it as a promotional tool. And trust me, again, if you're impressed with me talking in a green Lamborghini, then you've got bigger problems, mm. you know? And so there's a lot of people that do think that's what it's like. And like, they've got money and they're just like throwing it around like an idiot. The amount of times, and I saw this once and it made me laugh. There is, and I'm a little bit cautious to actually uh, explain it to you because I don't want you doing it. Um, but there's a phenomenal service out there called Jet Suite X. And mm -hmm. I don't own stock in it, but if no one's ever come across it, it's um, private jets and they take out all the fancy chairs and they bung a few kind of like, you know, regular chairs in. They don't recline or anything, but they do short hop journeys. Mm -hmm. And so from LA to Burbank, sorry, LA to Vegas, which is normally about an hour and 10 minutes, they do it in 45 minutes from a private jet terminal. So mm -hmm. you can get on and off so quick. It's just, ridiculous and the pricing it's about the same okay i'm amazed so yeah. many people haven't got it so i use this 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 kind of like uber for private jets i use it a lot in fact i've turned down gigs where jet suite x don't fly into because i don't want to go on a normal plane um <laughs> but here's the daft thing that private jets so the fact that they've stacked them up with like 20 people max mm -hmm. you'll still get people outside getting all the selfies and then posting them as though they're just getting onto their private jet mm. and not letting them, everybody know that there's 20 other people sitting on their private jet. Yeah. Yeah. And in Burbank, you can actually rent private jets for an hour so you can get all your video and photographs done on the inside when the plane's mm -hmm. not even been started up. It's ridiculous that that's the society that we're in now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's going back to the original thing. It's, it's sometimes hard to tell, you know, who is actually living that life to impress you. And, and there, I mean, a green Lamborghini or a jet, there's, there's a marketing point to that. That's I think visual that Instagram and some of these other platforms uh, can take advantage of in a big way, but relative to the content that the people are saying, once you get past the flash and you get past the excitement of the jet or the Lamborghini, um, how can you, and maybe it comes back to the three whys, but how can you decide for yourself if you're looking to hire the coach or, or invest in the program or just follow this person? How can you tell if they're being so you authentic? So you've got two ways here. If you're a voyeur, if you just like to watch people, then you've got no liability. There's no risk. There's no liability. The second you're going to spend a dollar, ask yourself why, and then ask them. Now, you know, I, I coach as well. And I have people reach out to me and they go, hey, I'm thinking of using you as a coach. And I go, well, that's great. Let's start there. Why do you need a coach? Because mm -hmm. I'm telling you, we may not well be the right fit. So why do you need a coach? Why have you come up with this decision? Why? And you've got to understand everything works. Now, if a coach, if you phone up a coach or a consultant and you go and they say, hey, I'm looking at And the guy goes, oh, that's fantastic. Fill in this form and we'll start next Monday. Yep. That's the person you should not be dealing with. Okay. 
Because it's like going to your dentist for eye surgery. You've got to make sure you've got the right person for the right job. You've got to ask the whys and you've got to ask the, hey, if I come to you, what can you do for me? You know, how can you help me? And that's when a coach needs to turn around and go, I don't know if I can. What's your problem? What's your short-term goal? What are you trying to achieve? You've got to do this thing today that people are scared shitless to doing. And we touched on it earlier. You've got to converse. You've got to engage in a conversation. You've got to communicate. And that's when, if you, as the, as the student, the, the, the mentee, has to be open, and the potential coach or consultant has to ask the questions and look to discover. Because if they don't know what they're working with, and if you're trying to hold your scars and pains, you're going to spend the first couple of months of your payments wasting time just trying to get to know each other. So you've got to ask questions. If I'm going to spend any money, like if I, Zappos, do you ever remember mm -hmm. Zappos, the, sh the yes. shoe company? Absolutely. I remember when, when Zappos turned up, the first thing I did was I phoned up that contact, that help desk. Okay. Now mm -hmm. this was, this was, Zappos was one of the first big online retailers. Um, right. And you could get shoes the following day, you know, um, but I didn't trust it. So I phoned up the help desk and I was like, hi, how are you? I just wanted to, and I had a conversation with the help desk. So if I buy shoes from you, you know, how do I know I'm going to get them? Well, we're going to send you this and this and this. Okay, but what if I don't like them? Well, you can return it by doing this and this and this. And is there anything else I should know? No, okay. I spoke and conversed with the people before I, before I did that. Now, I've got to admit, I do it less and less depending on the company that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. But if I'm doing something that I'm ordering toilet roll, I just need a tracking number. If I'm right. doing something that's going to benefit me, then and there's coaching involved and there's consulting involved, I talk to them. What a concept. <laughs> How stupid is it though? But we do, we are losing the ability to, uh, to communicate with each other. We're actually growing up in a world where it's getting less and less possible. I'll tell you, if you want to be arrested really quickly, go into a coffee shop and I call it the cappuccino shuffle. You walk up to the, to the barista, you order your coffee, and then everyone does this. They step to the side waiting for that coffee to be made. God forbid they can have three minutes of silence. The first thing they do every single time is they pull out their phone mm -hmm. and they hold it with both hands. Now, have you ever noticed that both hands is basically the same as a boxing stance protecting your chin? It's a defensive position. You've got your elbows in and you're holding your phone and you're looking into it, okay? Your chin down, your boxing stance up. Start a conversation with someone. Now they're looking at the phone, just turn around and go, hey, I love your shoes. My girlfriend's looking for some shoes like that. Where can I get them? They will look at you like you're a rapist because quite <laughs> simply, we don't converse anymore. Now, how old are you? Uh, 30. 30. I. Thing, the, the thing is, nowadays, most people existed before the internet. Right. Now, have you ever been on a bus or on a train? You've, yes, absolutely. I remember being on a bus stop in London, and you'd end up talking to different people at the bus stop before the bus turned up, you know? And then you'd talk to the bus conductor because you'd seen him three times. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. You know, we have a, um, a postman. 
Now, the postman's like 900 years old, but he likes to know every person that's in his route. Yep. And there are some people that are like, well, I just want my post delivered. I don't want to have a relationship with the postman. But it's what used to happen. You used to know your butcher. You used to know your corner shop. We're losing all of that. You know, I come from a period of life when my mum used to send me down to the corner shop and it was owned by a Pakistani called Raj because all the corner shops were owned by Pakistanis in London because they were the best shopkeepers. Now that's probably inappropriate. In 10 years' time, I'm probably going to be called a racist for saying that, but that's what it was. My mum would send me down there with a list. I'd, spit, I'd get all the stuff, give the list to Raj, and then go home without paying. And then my mum would come down on a Saturday and sell up with him. Mm. Now, I know it's funny, but if I send my kids down to 7-Eleven now to get some stuff and come home without paying, they're going to get arrested because yeah. we don't trust anybody anymore because we don't converse. We don't build up relationships. And the more we've got AI, Alexa, um, Siri, all of these things falsely telling us that we don't need to communicate with each other anymore, mm -hmm. um, the worse it's actually getting. And of course, we're scared shitless about well, am I going to be held accountable? Am I woke enough? Have I just offended someone by saying so? Mm -hmm. You know, has, have I just offended the entire Me Too campaign because I mm -hmm. commented on how pretty your hair was? You know, we're in that kind of world now. Absolutely. And is that what led you to doing your speakeasy events or, or was there some other motivation? Yeah, it's what, well, funny enough, it's what led me to the entire book. Um, again, oh, I was... I was getting so pissed off with how we were getting terrified to communicate and terrified mm -hmm. to connect. But the daft thing is, if you want to see the slowest evolving technology in the world, look in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth tonight. You know, mm. we are slow to evolve. Everything else we touch, feel, see, sense is, is growing exponentially, but we're not. We've still got two arms, still got 10 fingers, still got two legs, and we're still deteriorating. We would not mm -hmm. buy anything in the Apple store that carried the warranty of a human being. You know, we just absolutely, <laughs> we wouldn't, would we? Yeah, so, no. That's a so I was getting very annoyed where how technology was helping us, but idiots were using it to replace them. And mm. as human beings, we're pack animals. We want to have a conversation. In fact, Podcasts are a brilliant example of a new technological platform allowing us to be part of a conversation. And Absolutely. that's what we want. But just imagine if the conversation on the podcast, which probably will end up happening, was between Siri and Alexa. It'd be very, Siri, put the music on. Alexa, I put the music on. Siri, do this. I've done it. You know, it'd be very dull, wouldn't it? Yeah, we love to converse. And if we're not conversing, we actually love to watch talk shows where other people are conversing. We actually want to connect with people. So I do say you should do it more. When I got the chance of doing the book, I got paid stupid amounts of money to do it. And I used it as a platform for me to be able to moan and give you tips and tricks on how you can actually communicate better. And from that, I got the speaking, the consulting, the branding. And then I decided to see how daring people were and how desperate we were for something genuine. 
again, avoiding the word authentic, but mm -hmm. genuine, real. And so I put together an event called a speakeasy. In fact, it wasn't even called a speakeasy. Um, a friend of mine, actually, that, who bought a ticket said, this is like a speakeasy. And I went, all right, it is. And then it became that. We literally set up these events that are two grand for two days. We tell you where they're going to be location-wise. And we tell you what two days they're going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's it. You pay your two grand, you leave it alone to me. And so what we do is we literally just go, okay, on day one, be at this door at 9.30 in the morning. And then for the next two days, I take you through a journey of amazing access, amazing rooms, amazing people, and I never have more than 40 people attend. And I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to get 40 people to pay two grand that don't even know where they're going, what they're doing, who they're going to all of that. And I had a friend of mine, um, he's become a friend. He's been to about three speakeasies now. And there's an event going on in his area in the real estate community. And mm -hmm. he said to me, do you know, because my next one's on the 20th and the 21st of February in uh, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, and it's on the stevedsims.com website. Um, and you should look at it, not because I want you to sign up, but just to see how little information I actually provided you with. I, it's, yeah, it's shocking. Oh, you could fit it on a, on a toilet roll. You know, one piece of a toilet roll paper, all the details of the event. Um, and he said... I've just paid for Speakeasy Vegas, mm -hmm. but I'm still considering going to an event that's in my area. There's 297 bucks, and I know every speaker. I know the itinerary. I know the meal. I know the network. But he said, that's got all the information on the world. But the first thing I did was I bought yours, which has told me nothing. <laughs> so it's, it gets a real a real group of really open-minded people. And I've, I've taken people to the rooftop of Louis Vuitton, uh, galas with Elton John, um, Elon Musk's Giga factory, uh, Elon Musk's Tesla factory. I had the founder and CEO of ManyChat actually teach us how to set ManyChat up on your laptop. And then he went around, this is the head of the company, went around our computers going, no, 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 you're not doing it better. Setting up our flows for us. It was just wow. ridiculous. So we get into some pretty strange, spectacular rooms with some pretty incredible people that you actually get the chance to communicate with. You don't sit there and listen to them, watch them walk off stage, maybe snag a selfie. You actually mm -hmm. get the chance to stand there and have a coffee with them. So that's the cool stuff. Yeah, and that, that connection is really incredible. Um, we're getting towards the end of the time and I want to respect your time today. So um, before we get to the final section, I do have one question that I've been thinking about personally okay. uh, relative to your uh, blue fishing clients. What is the request that you felt was the least expensive, but the most impactful? Oh, that's very easy. It was $1,800. To be honest with you, it should have been $600. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and I'll explain why we, we've invoiced people for events, you know, like space travel is one million dollars. And so the deposit was seven and a half million. So we've done big invoices before. Um, and you know, we're obviously very happy to do that, but we had one client that we've been working with many, many years and on his anniversary, every anniversary doing something crazy, spectacular over the top, the budgets went from 50 grand. I think the most expensive was like 750 grand wow. for a weekend. All right. So we're not 
you know, messing around with little bits of money here. One time he contacted me and he said, my anniversary is coming up. We need to do something that's wonderful, something's different, that's something that's never been done before, something impactful. He had never used the word impactful before. Mm-hmm. So when I was talking to him again, asking him why, you know, hey, I, I heard you say the word impactful. Why did that word come up? You know, why is that important? And we, we ended up discovering the whys. What we did was we recreated the first picnic that they had ever had together when he first ever met him at college. Now, we, he, so he was very cheesy. She kept turning him down. So one day he actually had a picnic set up outside her, um, her class. And when she came out, he had this picnic rug, um, a boom box. He hit the boom box to hit the tune, got a bottle, of whiz- a bottle of champagne out, opened up the cork and said, care to join me? And this was in front of all of her class leaving mm. the room. And she joined him because he had been so cheesy and so vulnerable, you know, and so persistent. We recreated that first ever picnic that they had because we had found pictures from his old albums of the picnic rug, even the audio. Now, here was the thing. We bought three of those one DMC style stereo decks <laughs> and two of them didn't work. So oh, no. that's why it was so expensive. We only, out of three, we only found one that could work by taking parts from the other two to oh, be no. able to repeat this thing. So really it should have been a $600 experience, but it was $1,800 because of the three run DMC decks. But that even today was the most impactful. Now she has done some crazy stuff but she cried so much when she saw that he had gone to the detail he had had to create, even down to the music being played, mm-hmm. the rug and even the hamper. So oh, it was pretty, pretty impactful for that one. And that was the cheapest. And sometimes it's always the small things that make the biggest impacts. I've always said, focus on the impact, not on the price tag. And you'll often find that there is a vast difference. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. I do want to transition us into the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. So I'm excited to wrap up with you on that. First question is, uh, what book have you gifted most often? Oh, if it's not mine, it's usually something by Jay Abraham. I just actually gave out Cameron Herald's uh, free PR book, Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. Um, Joe Polish has a book coming out soon, which I'm actually getting ready to send out once he finishes publishing the bloody thing. Um, but usually anything by Jay Abraham, cause Jay Abraham is a master of being able to communicate. Great answers. Um, if you could get an hour of somebody's time past or present live or dead and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I actually know the answer and it may kind of confuse a few people. It would be Hitler. And I would ask him one question. What were you so scared of? Because I can't understand why a man would do what he did without fear being the pursuing force. So I'd I'd like to get down to the core. What was he so scared of that made him do so so much bad? Uh, and the atrocities he did so that would be the person so i'm not i'm not sure it's the uh the lovely jovial friendly question that everyone thinks i would say you know you know winston churchill or elvis or something like that but i'd really like to know about that guy that's a fantastic answer what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on that i'm incredibly boring um there's an (laughs) illusion that i'm not 
Um, I live vicariously through my clients. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not doing something and traveling around the world, I'm polishing my motorbikes, you know, throwing the ball around with my dogs and barbecuing most of the time badly. But I'm incredibly dull and I just sit at home and just love my alone time. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Pour a cup of coffee and kick the dog out. And then I walk around my, my yard. Um, luckily, I live very nicely here in Los Angeles. And I just quite simply, I'm grateful. I walk around that yard, look at my flowers, look at me bushes, look at me dogs healthy, you know, know that everyone inside is protected. They ain't got to worry about the mortgage or the school fees. And I'm just thankful that I'm able to do that each day. That's an awesome way to start with some gratitude like that. Um, you've already alluded to this a little bit, but what is the best place that we can connect with you online the most? So there's a Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. Um, you know, just fill in a couple of questions there and you're getting free. I do a lot of talking in there and I'm in there quite active. Um, you can go to stevedsims.com, sign up for the newsletter. There's a couple of videos that you will get and you will get the playbook that you can download immediately. Um, but there's also Sims Distillery, which is our online course. And when you join Sims Distillery, you get into a private Facebook page called The Speakeasy. And I do live webinars in there with some pretty cool guests and friends. So you become part of that. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm a member of uh, your Entrepreneur's Advantage. And I can tell you that that is a great group. And I really enjoy the content you throw in there. So um, to the guests, make sure you go check that out. Get uh, Join up with that community because you're going to get a ton of value out of it. Um, Steve, thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate it and appreciate your time. Cheers, bud. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode uh, with Steve Sims. Uh, as expected, he really brought the heat, and I really am thankful to share that with you guys. Uh, if you want to connect with Steve uh, more, go over to Facebook. Entrepreneurs Advantage is the group that he runs, uh, so go check him out there. You can also go on his website, stevedsims.com, both of which I have linked down in the show notes, so you can check them out there. And while you're down in the show notes, uh, I've got my Calendly link there. Uh, I'd love to connect with you one-on-one. So if you want to go in there, grab a time that we can have a chat for 15 minutes. I'd love to get to know who you are, what you're liking, uh, what I should be doing more of or less of, uh, and just generally how to make this a better experience for everybody. Uh, Go down there, find that time. And then if you get value out of this episode or any of the other ones I put out, because uh, I do this totally for free. I'd appreciate if you go over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because it does help me get that feedback as well as gives me uh, an opportunity to, to bump up the algorithm a little bit to help this get in front of a few more people. Uh, so without any further ado, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, signing off. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.